Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast for one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailtalk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we are talking about uh, my favorite Animorphs book, book number 33, The Illusion. Uh, it is a Tobias book. Uh, some content warnings before we get going. Um, literal, actual torture for many pages. Um, there's some ableism with respect to the antagonist is disabled and uh, talks about how in her past uh, people were ableist towards her. And also there's a lot of um, self, self, internalized what? ableism. There we go. Jesus. <laughs> um, and also some memories of child neglect slash emotional abuse uh for our our dear tobias um because it is a tobias book uh shocker i know you're all shocked that a tobias book is my favorite uh let me tell you dear listeners reading <laughs> this book after danielle had already admitted to it being their favorite and like, I thought, oh, this is the one with the torture in it. I'm, I'm just looking at them like, uh-huh, this one's your favorite, right? <laughs> Not that I have much of a leg to stand on with regards to being an angst gremlin, because I very much am. <laughs> but nobody else I know loves her comfort quite like Daniel does. <laughs> and it's like, oh... Oh, this is imprinting as a child. It's just like, mm, this narrative where my favorite suffers, but then gets rescued and is loved at the end. I like this. <laughs> Meme, I hope this doesn't have an effect. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, when we get to the, uh, the rescue portion of this story, I was right there, like, very much happy about how things are going and very excited because found family fields are my kryptonite mm -hmm. uh, they are one of the quickest things guaranteed to make me fall to the ground clutching my heart so <laughs> this book delivers um, it does it's, it's got some really good characterization not just for Tobias to be clear mm -hmm. but stuff that feels very real mm-hmm and I like that the ghostwriter for this book, uh, Ellen Giroux, Giroux mm -hmm. apologies, mm. um, isn't afraid to have people do unlikable things mm -hmm. and still make people seem sympathetic. Like, there's a moment where I get very annoyed at Jake in this book. Um, <laughs> I will expand on it because of who I am as a person but in our notes like there's some stuff with Rachel that uh, the fandom doesn't vibe with because it's very easy like oh well somebody is being mean to my favorite and get mm -hmm. defensive on your char your favorite character's behalf and that isn't unique to children gestures to every fandom that exists <laughs> like 
There's a reason woobification is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish we got to see more. As as always, okay, on the on the good books, mm-hmm. I just wish there was more of everybody. Uh huh. Um, my son has a moment in this book where I nearly cried mm-hmm. because it's that was my jam happening like obviously i was very like optimized i I mean again this is one of those things where knowing how many more books there are it's sort of like the danger aspect doesn't compute in the same way Mm -hmm. but it's just like it's very good and i just (sighs) we should get into it we should get into the specifics and we can (laughs) unpack as we go okay uh so the book opens with tobias at a dance and a school dance that he has been invited to by Rachel. Um, I love that Tobias just like crashes all of the school dances now. <laughs> <laughs> like we saw him do it in 29 uh, mm-hmm. with Axe and now here he is again. Um, but uh, he's he's extremely uncomfortable uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, this is the, the biggest like mm-hmm. fucking social anxiety autism mood of just like mm, I don't like it. There's lots of people here. Oh, it's mm-hmm. too noisy. Oh, just like ah, oh, <laughs> fucking mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he feels awkward in his body because he's in human morph. Um, uh, keeps forgetting that when he stares at people, they'll notice because he's not half a mile away. <laughs> um (laughs) can't can't really do facial expressions at all um is off balance by the very loud music and the lights and just the noise and the closeness of so many people um but he's here because rachel asked him it's also not stated as such but the fact that rachel is annoyed is Mm -hmm. also clearly contributing to yes. him feeling unsettled with how empathetic he always is mm-hmm. even if he doesn't necessarily compute that that's part of his own discomfort because he's worried that Rachel is annoyed at him mm-hmm. so or thinks he looks ridiculous yeah because she wants to dance and he is too uncomfortable to consider dancing mm-hmm. <laughs> Um. But like, I do love Marco fucking swinging in, uh-huh. just like I fucking love this kid. <laughs> uh, he's there, he's singing along to the music, dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get this right, just like some kind of chemical imbalance, Marco. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, frankly. Um, but Marco's having a good time. But he's like, he's checking in with them mm-hmm. as well. Like he's being a friend just in a very marker way about it um but he scoots off again and tobias is just like i i need to leave there's like 20 minutes left um Mm -hmm. i say there's 20 minutes left in more this seems like a very unfair situation to put yourself in yeah frankly yeah it's so he he's getting more and more concerned about the time running out and probably also it's an excuse to leave um 
I'll because run. he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily need the full twenty minutes to go outside to demorph. Um, it, he he he's just exhausted by all of this situation, um, and it it is it basically it's implied that like. Once he leaves to demorph, he's not coming back. This isn't like a go to the bathroom, demorph, remorph situation. I'm not sure why, um, besides the fact that Tobias is extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he and Rachel are arguing about it because, you know, Rachel is disappointed because she invited her boyfriend to this dance and they've just stood on the side the entire time, which, you know, is a thing. Um, and, you know, he, he's like, oh, well, I have to go. And she's like, well, you have at least 15 minutes left. You're saying you'd rather sit up in your tree watching owls eat nocturnal rodents than be with me, which is a trap. He recognizes that it's a trap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he tells her about how uncomfortable he is, uh, specifically in his, in morph, in his body. And... Uh, Rachel argues with him about the way that he's talking about it um, because, you know, he says this body, not his body. Um, And she's like, this is, this is your body, Tobias. This is who you are naturally. Um, Which uh, Tobias points out in the narration is basically an argument that they've had before. Um, And... We get the traditional explanation of what's going on. Um, And then uh, the Google dolls come on. Uh, It's got to be Iris. It can only be Iris. It can only be be. Iris. (laughs) Uh Um, Like, name another Google doll song. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying they don't have other songs, but like, this is a school dance. It's described as a slow Mm -hmm. song. It's the right era. Mm hmm. And look, it's been, oh God, over 20 years since that song came out. It still goes. It still like, goes. Love yep. that song. And given mm-hmm. that it's in- actually incredibly thematic, like lyrics wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say um, like I haven't used that song in a number of different various <laughs> contexts <laughs> over the years. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, but Rachel but he asked does. to try us to dance. Yeah. Yeah. They dance. And it's um, good. It's sweet. Yeah. It's, it's really cute. It's funny. We've been on so many missions together, battled Torque-Bajir controllers side by side, saved each other's lives times and again. And still, after all that, it's something as simple as dancing that makes my heart pound. That's a good show. They're in love and I die. Uh... <laughs> We support um, these young people in love. <laughs> uh, and then they kind of rotate around and Tobias catches sight of the clock. Um, and he only has eight minutes left. Which seems really soon. Iris is not a seven-minute song. Um, but so we, we can assume that the clock on the wall is maybe a little fast compared to whatever other clock he was looking at. Um, But regardless, he panics because he does not want to be stuck as a human 
Um, and Rachel is resistant to this because like the song isn't over and they were having a moment and now he's like freaking out and breaking away. And she's like, no, like, stay a minute. You have, you have a minute, stay. Uh, and he, and he's like, Rachel, have you lost it? I need to go to morph right now. Um, <clears throat> and so he, he books it. He tries to find an exit. Um, Rachel chases after him and catches up to him next to a uh, bulletin board display of birds of prey. Because, of course. Because, of course. Uh, I and... do like that we get this mm -hmm. detail of uh, a teacher doing a double take at Tobias. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, this, we, we don't really see the teacher after this opening sort of set piece. Mm -hmm. But somebody who did see Tobias and not just like in this moment, I mean, when he was a student saw mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And it's that reminder that people in the world do know who he is and that he could be missed mm -hmm. by people. Like we'll see as this goes on that Mr. Farian. Yeah. That makes more sense. Is like worried. Like he go, he like goes out, trying to find Tobias after all of this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's that's a good teacher right there. Yep. And I, it just makes me sad because so often Tobias doesn't put any worth on his life prior mm -hmm. to being an Animorph. Right. And what he can do. But like, and because like, well... Rachel didn't know who he was before then and he didn't have friends and Jake stood up for him that one time. I mm -hmm. think it's 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 human nature, it's something to do with how we're wired that our brains put more weight on negative experiences. Mm -hmm. Presumably it's a survival method, so you know not to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And also probably makes sense because there's more chemicals going on in your brains. And, uh, I, I'm no scientist. But... Yeah. I just like the acknowledgement that Tobias is, isn't an unknown entity to the world. <clears throat> yes. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really cool to see that acknowledged. Yeah. And it's like, even tiny moments like that are important to the readers who are Tobias's. Yeah. Um, you know, to show that one i mean tobias can find a family in his friends and two mm. that you know even if he didn't realize it there were people who cared about him and worry about him um and that's that's important um the so they stop at this bulletin board um and i'm just gonna read this <clears throat> mm-hmm because it's it's an important uh, interaction yeah, between. Rachel wants them. to explain herself. Yeah. Um, I slowed and finally stopped in front of a bulletin board display on birds of prey of all things. Tacked to the cork was the image of a bald eagle, wings spread wide, soaring in a deep blue sky, and a northern harrier on a fence post silhouetted against the clouds. Tobias, I want to explain. She broke off as her eyes followed mine to the picture of the red-tailed hawk and the caption beneath it. 
Longevity in the wild, it read, almost never reaches the figures attained by captive birds guarded against disease and predation. A generous estimate, 18 years. Uh, sidebar, that's, that's a super generous estimate for them in the wild. Um, Rachel stared at the wall. I looked at the floor. In an instant, the bulletin board display had thrown our friendship into the harsh light of reality. Rachel was a girl who could, on occasion, become a bird of prey. I was a hawk who could, on occasion, become human. Several big steps passed being Montagues and Capulets like Romeo and Juliet. Remaining hawk meant meals of still-living mice. Rachel was in my face now, intense, words spilling out. Look, the fight is important to us all, Tobias. So important to you that you've given up everything human to be a warrior. What am I even saying? You risk your life every day. I understand all that. I do. We're the same, you and me. Warriors. She paused to consider her next words. She was embarrassed by what she was about to say. Fighting to get past her embarrassment. But you've got to realize that there's more. I'm not just a warrior, she said. Her blue eyes glittering so close to mine. I'm a girl. I'm trying not to let myself be dragged off the cliff, away from all normalcy, into this insane life we live. I don't like what it does to me, Tobias, and I need to be a girl again. I need a little bit of normalcy, okay? Not a lot, but some. She pushed back, away from me. I'd never seen Rachel so emotional. Unless, of course, the emotion was an act. Unless she was stalling me just to eat up the minutes, to trap me, to... All the things we're supposed to live while we're in school, Tobias. You know, dances like this, nights out at the movies, walks on the beach. That stuff is passing us by. I want those things. We deserve them. And if you were human... I cut her off, repeating her words out loud. Yeah. If I were human. If. So she'd finally said what I'd known she'd felt all along. It made sense. She was right. She did need normalcy. Rachel had gone pretty far out on the edge in this war. But it still hurt. Hurt worse because I didn't have an answer. Uh, and he runs away again. Um, and there's... This conversation is really interesting because Tobias is not an unreliable narrator, but uh, you can very easily tell how his perception of things is coloring the narration. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, like it's, his perception is is being filtered through the fact that he's panicking. Because mm -hmm. on any other day, like if he had the time to relax and think, I don't. His brain wouldn't have probably gone to Rachel was just trying to keep him there. Mm -hmm. Because she does respect his autonomy mm -hmm. and his choices, mm -hmm. and her being frustrated in the moment like you know you're allowed to be upset about shit as a teenager mm -hmm. and there's something i know you highlighted in our notes um the significance of this conversation with rachel stressing that she wants to get to do normal things and like come back from the cliff edge on the back of book 32 mm -hmm. and like all my problems with book 32 aside <laughs> She's seen what she looks like when she doesn't have anything of, of the girl anymore. Mm -hmm. No wonder she wants to have these reminders. Like, these are children. Like they're th and I get like wanting to look back and not just have a war. 
to think about for your teenage years. Mm-hmm. Like, that fucking sucks. Like, we all know at this point that people will say, oh, your, your school years are the best of your life. I mean, fuck off. No, they're not. They suck <laughs> in many ways. But it's part of your time becoming a adult human. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why it's your formative years. Mm-hmm. So... It's, uh, the, I've seen a lot of reactions to this book where people think, people believe Tobias here when he says, or when he thinks that she's just trying to eat up the minutes and trap him in human morph. And like, when I read this, that's not at all what I see. Um, like Mm. she's not, she's, she doesn't want to be normal. She wants a little bit of normalcy not a lot but Mm -hmm. some she wants to have some of these experiences that you know people are missing that the animorphs are missing that jake and cassie get to have but tobias and rachel don't Um, yeah and it's not that she just wants them it's like she wants to have these moments with him Mm -hmm. and uh like I don't think she wants Tobias to be stuck as a human. She would never forgive herself if Uh that happened because of her. Because she knows how much being a hawk means to Tobias. How much of it is part of his identity at this point. And she knows... She she understands his sense of duty to the war. And how if he did become stuck as a human... You know, he wouldn't have to risk his life literally every day because he's living in the wild as a bird, but also he wouldn't be able to fight at all. And, you know, she's made she's made this argument to him a few times about, you know, why don't why don't you just, you know, bite the bullet and become human again because she's worried about him. She doesn't want to have to think about him getting eaten by a great horned owl in the night and her never even realizing it. Uh, you know, it's, and she just wants one dance with her boyfriend. And it's just the tragedy of, of Mm. these two, um, really, really gets me. Uh, because like they're both they're both trying so hard to cling to each other and to cling to their humanity and and every time one of them uh 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 what's the word um uh reinforces one side over the other they're doing that for the other person too so like when Tobias hangs onto the hawk, Rachel feels like she has to hang on to the murder machine that she hates of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Rachel clings to normalcy, all Tobias hears is clinging to uh, a lot of hurt in his past and helplessness. Um, mm-hmm. And while they both can appreciate like the the necessity 
of both parts. You know, Tobias doesn't want to be fully Hawk. He he does appreciate that balance within himself. You know, he enjoys talking with Axe and Rachel and spending time with them. Um, and Rachel recognizes that she doesn't want to be just the girl either. She last we had a whole book about her accepting that mm. she kind of needs the the violent part of herself. Um, and I think, yeah, oh. no, that, that was wrapping up. No, it's not. I don't think Adeline to say I, Rachel possibly doesn't appreciate just how traumatic Tobias's human life is. Oh, the fact yeah. that he can even be human anymore mm-hmm. was conditional and was like this carrot held over him. Mm-hmm. And he's like 13 years of life up to this point of just like having to struggle and having horrible things happen. Like, yeah, being a bird is scary and living in the wild is scary and the things they have to do for the war are traumatic but like you said about him feeling very helpless as a human mm-hmm. him being the hawk is the most agency he's had in his life mm-hmm. which is to put, to be clear deeply upsetting <laughs> but he is making the choice to throw himself into danger and that's a sign of the trauma in and of itself and i'm not saying it's a good thing but he is making the choice to do it Mm -hmm. and even if it's like maybe coming from a misguided place or a a need to be useful it's still he has a control of himself Mm -hmm. he lives to his own terms for the most part Uh, so Tobias's escape is uh, stymied by first there's like a gate over the school exit um, and second Chapman is interrogating Eric the Chi over a cigarette that Eric doesn't have or maybe was did have as part of his hologram it's a little weird um, mm. uh, and uh basically the the point the 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 snapshot we get is of these two people just lying to each other in the same way that we get like jake and tom uh Mm -hmm. when we have jake books um and also uh mr feyroyan who is the the teacher um that jade mentioned who cares about tobias is also coming around uh it's it's really cute like he's he's described as like waving at tobias and like smiling and being really happy to see him (laughs) tobias Mm -hmm. just bolts because he doesn't have time um uh rachel helps him get over the gate um there's a moment where he thinks he might be like uh stuck in the gate first and then stuck in human morph second when it takes him a half a minute to focus and demorph um but he is able to demorph um, out in the dark uh, with Mr. Feyroyan calling after him. Um, uh, he tears out of the clothes that Rachel pulled out for him. Something, something metaphors, something, <clears throat> something. Uh, 
and takes to the sky. Uh, and while he's up there, he spots Jake, who is sitting outside on the steps. Um, and Jake basically says, uh, like, the reason we saw Eric is because Eric had bad news for Jake. Um, basically that the, the, she lost track of it. Like the, the Yurks are ready to test the anti-morphing ray. Um, and the Chi have lost track of it. They don't know where it is. Um, so, you know, bad news for the Animorphs. Um, and we have this interesting conversation, um, between Tobias and Jake where uh, Tobias comments about how tired Jake looks because Jake is always tired nowadays. Um, and Jake says, oh, don't worry about me. I'm into cat naps, you know, like Napoleon did. 20 minutes here, 20 there. Pretty soon you've slept eight hours and it hasn't even slowed you down. Jake, my boy. <laughs> You don't get REM sleep that way. Also, like, teenagers require more sleep than eight hours because uh -huh. they're growing. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Um, but they... the Jake basically says, you know, I'm really glad that you made it and were able to demorph uh, because I need you and your eyes and ears and you know your your abilities um uh and and Tobias thinks it felt good to hear Jake say i was indispensable but with Jake you could never be sure anymore what was sincere and what was just expedient he'd been the most open open of guys back in the old days what you saw with Jake was what you got but he'd been a leader for a long time now he'd learned to say what he needed to say Jake needed me as one of the Animorphs. He liked me, respected me, was happy for me when I was happy. And when he had to, he used me without regard for anything but winning. After we've just been told that Tobias is the most observant of them in their eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck, Tobias! You're right, but fuck. The fact is that, like, just before, the way Jake was describing Tobias is mm -hmm. so dehumanizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He described, mm -hmm. he, it's like, without you, we're nothing. Joan Arc without her sword. Patton without his pearl handled pistols. And, like, Tobias shoots back, describing in the same way, and he makes a joke of it. Mm -hmm. But everything mentioned is a weapon. Yeah. Not an ally. Mm-hmm. The fact that also, uh, he, like, Tobias specifically references, like, stuff in, like, the first Iraq war. Like, mm -hmm. like uh, what was it? Operation Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. So... It... It's so dis because it's like it's meant to be done like as a sign of affection, but it's so telling about how about this mindset that Jake's been forced into. Mm-hmm. 
And then the fact that as this conversation ends um, and they go their separate ways, because like Tobias makes this crack about been boning up on famous leaders, haven't you? And then we get this good little quip, which is like, yeah, don't tell anyone, though. I want my brilliance to appear unstudied. Natural. He says to Tobias, later, Red Baron. Um, and Tobias responds with, see you there, fearless leader. And I need to talk about these nicknames. Uh-huh. Right, yes, the Red Baron was a flying ace, like, widely regarded as, like, one of the best pilots to ever fly. Also, like, horrifically high kill count was, you know, the enemy of the Americans and, like, the Allies in mm -hmm. that war. Mm-hmm. Red Baron is not a good guy. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, let me be very clear. Like, yes, this is a compliment, clearly a compliment to, like, Tobias's flying skills. Um, but it's like, mm, mm. and then see you there, fearless leader. Now, I double check. This is in lower case, mm -hmm. but I wanted to check that in case it was a title I had missed because it was ringing an uncomfortable bell in my head because mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if it was in like the Megamorphs book, and I think it might have been. Um, but specifically, fearless leader is the uh, boss in Rocky and Bullwinkle. Which is very funny because, like, kids' cartoon. Uh, but Fearless Leader, and that is the character's name, is heavily patterned after a dictator, is a dictator of a fictional mm -hmm. country, and it's heavily stylized over real, of like historical Nazis, <laughs> like the look wise. And I'm like, I don't know if that's like a deliberate move. And is like actually Tobias being very clever and getting a jab in, or whether it's something that I'm overthinking. This is entirely possible. But there's just something about the framing of both of them using nicknames for each other of effectively the uh, antagonists mm -hmm. in their narratives. Mm -hmm. And I don't. It maybe it's meant to make me feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure but it definitely sort of like pulled me out. Like, especially right on the back of Jake describing Tobias in terms of weapons and Tobias just accepting it. Just mm -hmm. like, yeah, stop with the flattery. Though, again, we don't know if he's being sarcastic there. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, again, lots of evidence for autistic Tobias in this book. Just saying. <laughs> um, we see. Yeah. But it's... For for cool. Red Baron, uh, I think that speaks to where Jake is getting his information, which is to say, indiscriminately. Yeah. He's not looking only at the heroes in wars. Sure. He's, he's studying up on the tactics of everybody and oh. picking out the pieces that he would find useful mm. oh yes the uh, historical red baron and manfred von richlofen i can't do german i'm very sorry um officially considered the ace of aces of the first world war um you got to be called an ace after you shoot down five or more enemy aircraft mm -hmm. um 
and he was officially credited with 80 air combat victories. Like, fucking fighter pilots in the First World War, that was a fucking intense gig. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. See what those planes are made of? It's fuck all. <laughs> fuck all. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of like history around like the Red But I I like what you're saying about how it's just like yeah I mean Napoleon, also depending on to be fair, depending on who you ask, was mm-hmm. also you know not great. Mm-hmm. By most you know standards. <laughs> Um, but was considered this like great military mind. Yes. So, like you say, it tracks that Jake would be like learning what he could where he could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, I'm just gonna now drop you the link to uh the fearless leader from Rocky and Bullwinkle. This is who Robert De Niro played in the shitty live action movie. But if you look at that image yeah. and tell me that's not meant to be yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting perspective to look at it from. Because, like, I know. I feel like multiples of them have called him Fearless Leader. And I know Tobias has definitely called him this before. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. I couldn't point it out to you. But, like, Fearless yeah. Leader is, is a moniker that they use for Jake. And mm-hmm. that, like, that's just fascinating to me. To, to look mm-hmm. at it from that angle. It makes me wonder, like, if, yeah, it's, like, started some, like, one of the kids starting it, because I feel like, I mean, to be fair, Rocky and Bullwinkle's never been much of a thing here, but, like, I understand it's probably one of those things that was maybe on route, like, reruns all the time, mm-hmm. just, like, something they could throw on the TV. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was just the thing that struck me. And I also couldn't remember what the name they used for uh, Bad Timeline Jake was either. So Oh, oh. Yeah, that's another. I'm going to quickly look it up now. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> Please stand mm, by. Uh, Elfangle was... Secret? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see who gets there first. (laughs) (laughs) Whose internet is better? (laughs) Oh, Supreme Leader. He was Supreme Leader in the bad time. Okay. All right. Nevertheless, don't like it. Feels bad. It does feel bad. Yep. Yep. Um, but I do wonder if that's the point. But mm-hmm. also, just to keep spinning. Calling Jake Phil's leader is like, it's dehumanizing for Jake, too. Mm hmm. Like, okay, like, he's the leader. Let's just push him up, not quite necessarily onto a pedestal, but into this position of authority, of decision making. Mm-hmm. And then they resent him for it, mm-hmm. and he resents being stuck in that position. But he does it, mm-hmm. and there's something interesting about why they do what Jake says because it's their fault. He's the leader as much as anything else. Yeah, and especially coming from Tobias, who was, I think, the first person 
we heard talk about fear mm. as or talk about bravery as being afraid and doing it anyway. Mm hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And because we've seen the way Jake <laughs> talks about not letting himself feel fear. Mm hmm. Because he can't. There's just yep. something very interesting here, like that could probably be its own thing. Mm -hmm. It's own, like massive discussion about like the kids' different attitudes to their own fear and their mm -hmm. perceptions of it. Mm -hmm. So, because it, it it rolls back to that thing we've talked about before about what Jake, through like societal like conditioning, through what his friends need of him, what he's internalized being a leader means. Yeah, and how he's trying desperately to be what he thinks a leader is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. So yeah. <laughs> We're all sad. Next We're chapter. We're all sad. <laughs> uh, in a shocking turn of events, we're at Cassie's bar <laughs> uh, for a team meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's about chapter four of the book. <laughs> uh, time for a meeting. Um, Chekhov's bold eagle is being tended to by Cassie. Um, <laughs> spoilers for later in the book. Uh, but it uh, it's um, an eagle that's not long for the world. Just it's got a terminal illness, and it's just, mm -hmm. uh, they're just looking after it. Um, and that we have a little bit of chat about why Chapman was getting on Eric's case, and it's because uh, we find out that there's this big to do happening with the sharing right now because part of Eric's cover is that he does go to, uh, he is mm -hmm. a part of the sharing. Mm -hmm. um, but this new community center is being opened, and like Chapman's like super, right, just like, yeah, you're the face of the sharing. Ah, you can't be doing this. Uh, you know, bullshit. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, and then we get this bit about, um, <coughs> this made me laugh, um, <laughs> talking about smoking and actually just like igniting sticks of plant and paper. Why is that such a serious offense? Because cigarettes can kill you, I answered. That is if a golden eagle or a case of coccidiosis? Uh, coccidosis, I think. Coccidosis doesn't get you first. And Rachel just gives him a dirty look and it's like, so not funny. Mm-hmm. Um. Cassie explains about addiction. Rachel makes a crack about Mark on computer games. Marco retaliates with Rachel being into Calvin Klein clearance racks. She ignores him. <laughs> um, and then we get this uh, line from Axe. As we say on the home world, a test of will may lead to wisdom. A loss of will breeds but defeat. And I have to assume it's Marco who says, hey, I saw that same thing in a fortune cookie once. <laughs> um, because it's uh -huh. not in uh, it's not in the thought speak, so it's not Tobias, who I feel mm -hmm. is the only other one who would have made that crack. Yeah. And clearly Rachel, because Rachel, like, Marco always has a knack for pissing off Rachel, and she's mad at <laughs> Tobias, and she's just like, where are Jake and Eric? It's just like, <laughs> we know she's very action-orientated anyway, because um, mm -hmm. when she can't act, she gets scared mm -hmm. or angry. Um, but they're gonna, they're, they're, their arrival is imminent because uh, Tobias is on watch. Um, 
But we get the uh, the news from Eric that the AMR, the anti-morphing ray, uh, is ready. They're ready to test it. They don't have a test subject. Um, and Tobias is the one who asks, why can't they use Visa 3? Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, they could if he were volunteering, which he isn't, <laughs> because there's a chance the ray could prove fatal and there's a possibility that a feedback effect could blow the weapon up. And Rachel's like, that's a hopeful thought, which is just... <laughs> very good um but then we get to the crux of the, of the point and cassie is the one that brings it up which is like so eric suggesting that uh, the yurks want to test the amr on one of the andaline bandits right. and eric's like yeah next time you make an appearance he thinks the yurks are going to try to capture at least one or fire the weapon mm-hmm. um Mark is like, well, we don't let them catch us then. And then Jake's like, oh, will we? <laughs> um, look, on the way over, I started thinking that happened sooner or later. <laughs> it's just like, I, lo- I love my ass off. <laughs> um, but Jake's the one that posits we should let the Yerks capture one of them, uh, provide them with their test subject. And then this is where shit gets shady. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because Jake's like me, for instance. I let them take me prisoner. The rest of you follow secretly. They'll lead us straight to the AMR, exactly where we want to go, in a position to destroy the weapon. And Marco's like, I'm just going to ask this once. Are you insane, Jake? Dude, think about it. Not that I should even be considering the details of a scheme as idiotic as this one. But what happens if we don't get the time? And then lays out all the problems. And oh, hey, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um. Just like, yeah, and that's assuming he lays out all the stuff that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens when they, if once they've got you, if they get a chance to demorph you, you're then a human kid and our cover's gone. Um, and Rachel's like, well, it's dangerous, but I say we do it. Jake can't be the one. Jake's too important to be the one. We need you planning, so I volunteer. Uh, and Jake's about to counter the argument where it's actually just like, Prince Jake, Rachel, I'm the only logical answer. To be fair, he says, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an Andalite, after all. Uh, if they demorph him, it's just going to be an Andalite. Right. Um, and Mark's like, yep, yeah, makes sense. I mean, given that we're even talking this way, like we do it. <laughs> and while all this is going on, Tobias is watching Jake. Uh, he was nodding, like he bought what everyone was saying, but he was remaining quiet. So was Eric. Jake had another idea in mind. He was just waiting for someone else to suggest it. You could die, Axe, Cassie emphasized. Are you sure you want to do this? And Axe is just like, yeah, I'm sure. And he's like, meets every, makes eye contact with everybody. And Jake's still not committing to the bit. Uh, it's just like, we don't know where they're keeping it. And now Marco's watching Jake as well. Mm-hmm. And is clearly putting pieces together. Um, and then it clicks for Tobias. Um, we get this. Um, guys, wait a minute. He interrupted. What is it? Jake asked. I swooped down from the rafter to the floor. Loose straw swelled in small eddies as I touched down. A ray of light from a crack in the barn wall bathed my feathers in yellow light. It was almost too much. Too theatrical. I half expected angels to hover up out of the hayloft and break into song. It's me, I said. I'm the one who has to go. 
I saw the confirmation in Jake's eyes and in the hologram that gave Eric eyes. Marco clicked about a second later. Look, they turn the rayon accent morph, right? If it works, they get an andalite and they get proof the AMR works. Cassie nods. Rachel's just keeping her eyes down. She's angry and sad. The two emotions that are always very close together in her. And Tobias lays it out. It makes sense for it to be him because they don't know that Hawk is his true form. They capture him off. They're going to think that the ray just doesn't work because they're not going to get an Andalite or a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, little moment, uh, Marco just gives them a little ironic bow. It's just like, you're right, Tobias. Don't you wish you weren't? Which is just, yes. Mm-hmm. And then Jake made a face I see too often. It's a look of disgust. Disgust with himself. He hadn't wanted to single me out, make me go on what might be a suicidal mission. He'd waited till I could volunteer. Now, this is where I need to be like, excuse me. (laughs) If you knew it was the right play, Jake, you could have just said, Tobias, will you do this? It does not make it better that Tobias volunteered when you paint him into a corner to do it. Mm-hmm. Makes me so mad. I This is like nasty levels of manipulation. And he's up, he's disgusted with himself for it. It's just like, then just fucking ask the dude, my guy. <laughs> you could have just said, no, this is this, this is how it is. Tobias, I hate to ask, but I think you're the only person that can do this. He knows Tobias would do it. Is the thing. Yeah. And and that's that's Jake's problem, is of course Tobias would say yes. If he asks, mm-hmm. Tobias mm-hmm. is going to say yes. And so he can't accept that responsibility on himself. And probably part of him is hoping that nobody realizes it mm-hmm. uh and you know maybe if nobody realizes it then i won't have to literally feed one of my warriors to the wolves um yeah. but jake my guy you're living in denial because tobias knows uh-huh. That you weren't asking, but you thought it marco sure as fuck knows i guarantee you cassie will figure it out if she mm-hmm. hasn't already Rachel may or may not. Who can say? Because, but she's also aware of how patently manipulative you are. You look worse for doing it this way, my guy. (laughs) I hate this. I mean, it's great characterization, to be Mm -hmm. clear. My frustration is with that kind of, it's the same thing I'd be yelling at a TV in a movie if if somebody Mm -hmm. was doing it. Mm -hmm. Because it does feel like, a very childlike way to deal with it. Yeah. I don't want to ask my friend to do this. So maybe if I just make it so he realizes that maybe he should volunteer, then it's okay. Not great, but at least I didn't have to ask. Mm-hmm. And it it it's a little bit just like, oh, well, if I can't see you, then you can't see me. It's a very <laughs> reductive way of thinking about it. Uh-huh. And it's one example of how in many ways the kids through different means distance themselves from the choices they make and from the actions mm-hmm. they take. 
Mm-hmm. Because why would, and you can't blame somebody for trying to like do what they need to keep going, to keep moving forward. But the fact that they have made this choice again in children's books and mm-hmm. they may, are willing to make the characters so complicated in this regard because I think it'd be very easy to paint the kids as like, Yes, they're the good guys, but like fully virtuous and never having problems and stuff like that. But Kaye set out to tell a more honest story than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, I read that and I was like, oh, I'm so pissed off. <laughs> I hate this. Because uh-huh. for me as an autistic person, one of the things I really struggle with is people just not telling me things. Like, please stop asking me to try and figure out what you want me to do. If you want me to do something, please just tell me rather than get annoyed that I haven't picked up on the message you're trying to convey to me. Mm -hmm. It's deeply infuriating. And I'm sure it's not a unique experience to autism either, but just fucking say what you mean. Just ask the thing. It's just as it, it's very good. It's good writing, and I'm pissed off <laughs> at it as a as a character choice. Uh huh. Because to me, that makes the character more unlikable. Hmm. Because that reads as cowardice to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellen Giro understood the assignment. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and but it's a great moment, like Marco clearly sussing it out and just like also diffusing the moment yep. as well by making that little little bow jokey business. Mm-hmm. It is like letting that tension drop. Mm-hmm. And then I am sad about, I continue to be sad about Marco every day of my life. Um, <laughs> also, Betty LaFontaine, who I haven't mentioned in a hot minute. Um, <laughs> I'm contractually obliged to. Yes, I wrote the contract. What's your point? Um, <laughs> but uh, Cassie is worried, um, though also proud looking. Yep. Cassie, with that look of tender knowing she reserves for moments of significance, I could tell she was proud of me and worried. Whereas Rachel, her eyes are dark and she looks stricken because Rachel's the one that's putting, like, connecting the dots about, oh, this is so bad. Just Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) it's not quite... I can't believe the leopard would eat my face, says person who voted for (laughs) face-eating leopard party. But she was so ready to volunteer for this, and now Tobias says, she's like, yeah, I was going to jump on the grenade, and I want you to jump on the grenade. Something bad could happen. (laughs) I jumped on the grenade so you wouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm the one who jumps on the grenade in this party. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... But so the decision is made um, and Axe is the one who then goes, okay, but you're going to be in there more than two hours. You need an Andalite morph. (laughs) 
he doesn't just like slap his chest. Uh, he does say, I believe you'll need to acquire me. Um, mm-hmm. And bless, Tobias is stoked about this. Yeah. This is very is. cute and good. Um, and then there's just the chatter about, okay, this has to look credible. I'm just like, pause to say, know that nobody seems to have an objection about acquiring an Andalite as a morph. Well, Axe volunteered. Yeah, but isn't it weird, though? Because he's like a sentient person. <laughs> this is going to be just like me till the end of time. Uh-huh. Like, hey, Jay, what are your thoughts on the animals? They're really fucking weird about acquiring sapient people's morphs. It seems like a really inane objection to me. Um, but they decide that uh, they have to go tonight. Um, because it's the uh, it's the first night of the sharing's three day extravaganza. It's gonna be the perfect place to go. Um, and then I think they said they can't do it tonight because it's too short a notice. Well, Cassie Cassie they, says I can't do it tonight because my parents are. I can't just be gone when my parents come back. And Jake's like, yeah, but we kind of have to do it tonight, so she just makes do. Yeah, uh, because Tom's gonna be getting an award of some kind mm-hmm. um, but there's going to be a big outdoor banquet um, um so they're like okay so jake should go as himself uh and marco is like snapping into his head of security mode mm-hmm. um just i'm sad um <laughs> but they'll they'll there's going to be yerk security anything that could be an andalite and morphs and we get a bit of a breakdown from a couple of controllers later about just how on the money marco was with that assessment Mm-hmm. Um, Jake's probably going to be safest being a human morph. Um, so they're like, yep, yeah, okay, ants are probably best, but they're going to be on alert. And then we get from Eric, there's something else you need to know. We do not think the Yerks built this community center out of concern for the community. I'm shocked, <laughs> Marco said. <laughs> um, and Eric posits that they think there might be a Yerk. Uh, a subterranean connection to the Yerk pool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I like the sound of that. Perfect. We can swing by the Yerk pool, do a little damage on our way to save Tobias and blow up the AMR. Absolutely. Not a problem. Um, but so Jake's like, okay, everyone, go home, make contact with the parentals, meet back here early tonight. Uh, we have work to do. And Tobias, get some rest. This isn't going to be a picnic for you. That's an understatement. Mm. Uh, and then we get this great chapter. It's so good. Uh, it's so good of uh, Tobias acquiring uh, Axe as a morph. And we get the fun description of him uh, processing being in this morph for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we get this really cool detail. I think this is the first time we see it in the text, maybe, mm-hmm. about um, something below the rationality and the confidence of uh, the Andalite mind, which is intense optimism, uh, which explains is the Andalite mind in its untrained state. And about how Andalite culture teaches us to temper and control our optimism to keep to give equal value to realism. We have become regrettably a wet race of warriors, but that is in response to necessity. Down deeper beneath that, I believe we are a peaceful species in love with learning. 
um, in love with learning, not combat, but to learn and to fight, you must be joyful. I think an ancient Andalite inscribed that on a Shormator, um, which is explained to be as a tail blade carving, uh, which to be fair, I thought was like scrimshaw on the blade. No, it's a carving done with the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like this detail of Andalites at their core being optimists. Yeah. Which just makes the whole fucking Andalite situation really quite upsetting. Uh-huh. Um, it sure but it does. Me, mm, but it reminds me a little bit of how the reason why in Star Trek they talk about why Vulcans are so repressed is because of how strong their emotions are, so they have to be. Mm-hmm. Like, they need to, like, do all of this stuff to keep themselves in check so it doesn't run unchecked. Mm-hmm. Good work, Jay. And, like, but knowing that the Andalites are inherently optimistic... And their culture forces them to temper that. Yeah. Like, granted, like, unchecked optimism isn't necessarily a good thing. Like, you can talk about, like, Pollyanna syndrome and all of that, like, energy. But there's just something wonderfully tragic about this fucking, I say happy, optimism is not the same thing as happy, but Mm -hmm. happy-go-lucky peaceful like herd based species of aliens that like oh no we need to maybe like be more realistic about stuff and balance that so we can learn and we can grow and whoops now we're highly militaristic and oops but it also gives this wonderful context to why Ciro was like well why wouldn't I have given yeah the Yerks technology yeah of course, Elfangor gave the morphing ability to the kids. Like this mm-hmm. belief. Opt- the thing about optimism, one of the things I like, I always like to describe myself as being um, either, uh, to be fair, I've also described myself as a cynical idealist in the past, which I think is still true, but like a realistic optimist mm-hmm. or an optimistic realist, however you want to describe it. Uh, just wanting to believe in people. Yeah. And I am, for all intents and purposes, I try to be, I believe in that people have this innate ability to choose to do good things. And I love those, like, collections of stories about, like, human ability to cooperate with each other. And it's not fully unique to humans, to be fair. But, like, when we talk about archaeology and anthropology and finding, like, the skeletons of folks who've clearly had like a limb broken but like been looked after and able to live to an old age Mm -hmm. and just humans are good actually is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. there are people that choose to be dickheads and there are always going to be but i love this detail about the andalites and it makes me very sad about them as well Mm-hmm. Because yep. to get from point A to point B is very sad. Yeah. It's sort of that way, like, kids lose, like, stuff as as we grow up. Oh, it's in, par- it's in parallel. It's in, yeah. Okay. Good work, <laughs> Animorphs. You done got me again. But how the reality of war, of 
adulthood means leaving childish optimism. But I'm so mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking K.A., you clever bastards. <laughs> yeah, fuck. It also, like, uh. it calls back to um, when Axe first told the kids about Ciro's kindness. How mm. Marco was like, well, y'all just hooked up with the wrong species. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hook up with humans, <laughs> uh, cause you know we'll we'll share our cinnabons with you. <laughs> um, but it, I I like how it paints some of those interactions in the retrospective, mm. mm-hmm. like you said about Ciro. Um, but also just like with Axe and and him coping with mm-hmm. being on Earth. Um, but also like Elfangor and Lauren and mm-hmm. like that willingness to put yourself out there is so hard. But we see Axe do that. We saw Elfangor do that. It's mm-hmm. a scary thing to be vulnerable with people. Mm-hmm. And like choosing to trust, that is also optimistic. Like, I hope this person will not hurt me. I am choosing to trust them because I believe this is going to be a good thing in the long run. Yeah. And again, I suppose that again is this another is another point of contrast with the Yerks, because um, every Yerk we've met has been hella pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair. Makes sense given their circle, except Vissa 3. But uh, <laughs> Vissa 3 is a messy bitch who likes drama. <laughs> he is on form in this book. He is. Some, yeah. There's some quality V3 content here. Um, I just, the fact that he also, I think, calls somebody else gets called out for being like a Batman villain or something like that in this. <laughs> and I was there just like, I feel vindicated. <laughs> but um, Tobias has acquired Axe as a morph and it's just like, yo, this is pretty fucking cool. Uh, and we get this very cute moment of Axe trying to teach uh, Tobias a maneuver mm-hmm. on like how to use the tail blade, mm-hmm. um, which is his move of like knocking people out. Mm-hmm. Um. And it turns out that uh, Tobias, when trying to copy the move, is really strong, but uh, not so good at the turning the blade at the last minute to hit the fight. Just like you strike with you strike with impressive velocity, that at least is admirable. Just like wow, axe. <laughs> Talk about being optimistic. Yeah, yeah, great. You know you're a warrior when you take down a tree and you can't get your blade back. And um, then we got the visual of just Axe helping pull Tobias away from this tree with these very weak little arms that they uh-huh. both now have. And it's just, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Axe is just like, mm, maybe I should have let you uh, get used to having an Adelaide body first. My bad. <laughs> Let's go get a drink and then uh, perform the evening ritual. Um, Tobias gets to have a work and like, okay, drinking through your hoof, actually very cool. <laughs> um, but we have this great moment um, 
The very last glimmer of colour was disappearing from the sky, absorbed by the mysterious indigo of night. Look to the last bit of orange, Axe said. That's how the ritual begins. I stopped drinking and turned all eyes on the stripe of colour. From the rising of the sun to the setting, to it rising again, Axe said. We place what is hard to endure with what is sweet to remember and find peace. He stopped. That's it? That is it? I like it. Me too. Oh my god, I fucking like that too. Like, dang. <laughs> Good shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just so happy that they get to have this. Like, it's only one chapter, but it mm. feels really big mm. of like this opportunity for Tobias to connect with his like literal actual family mm -hmm. and his heritage and oh hey like, look you want to be sad uh-huh Tobias has finally got an uncle that likes him and wants to share shit with him look at that <laughs> uh-huh Axe would definitely pin Tobias's art to the fridge. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Um, yeah. It it's this part of the book, like uh, Jen mentioned in in the Discord, that her first her first instinct when when you remember mm -hmm. this book because the cover the cover is Tobias turning into an Andalite and so the first thing you remember when you think about this book is this chapter is mm -hmm. Tobias being able to connect with hit with with acts on this deeper level um mm -hmm. and you know we get we get a lot of little tidbits in here about Andalites like with the optimism and the tail blade carvings and um uh, things like that uh and then you remember like what the whole rest of the book Elsa. is about <laughs> and you're like ah oh, yes <laughs> it's comfort hurt comfort it's a hurt mm. sandwich mm -hmm. no. <laughs> i will say there's this reference before we get into into the next chapter and shit starts mm -hmm. getting real gnarly Mm -hmm. uh, Axe mentions that it was uh, from these tail blade carvings that he learned uh, that the early tail fighting masters spent a lifetime trying to cultivate and listen to instinct, trying to forget what culture had taught them. Uh, let the innate defense mechanism kick in, as you humans say. You should have a natural advantage in this regard, Tobias, which is just very cute. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something know about knowing that there are Andalites who use their tail blades, which are a weapon, mm -hmm. but also they aren't just that. They're a tool of like using them to create art. Yes. It's just, it's some metaphors in here um, <laughs> about how nobody, nothing is just a weapon. Yeah. Jake, my guy. <laughs> I know it's easier to think of people that way. This is bad for your brain. <laughs> I worry about your emotional development, kiddo. <laughs> oh dear. That was the slightly frantic laugh of me getting too close to future truths again. Okay. Cool, cool.
Um, yeah, it's. I I love this book and I love this chapter. Um, it's it's very good. It also speaks to um when we first saw Elfangor tail fighting. Mm. Um, how he's he's described as like when he gets really scarily good is when he stops thinking mm. and just kind of lets the instinct guide him. And that's part of why Aloran and then Visser Three fear Elfangor in, in a tail fight. And I think a lot of that same, we see a lot of that same kind of innate ability in Axe. Um, probably because he's been taken out of his Aris training and had to learn all this shit, mm. like, by fire. Um, and has yeah, had to I mean, just trust himself on it. It's also like, it's, um, for the sake of making a comparison to another piece of media, part of what makes Toph in Avatar such a good, is she self-taught? Mm. like she wasn't trained a specific way she felt it out herself using mm -hmm. like instincts like the girl figured out metal bending when it, people said it couldn't be done mm -hmm. because it's like well fuck off I'm gonna do it <laughs> but <laughs> love Toph Beifong she's great um, she is so great but like I said that freedom and like uh what is it about um necessity breeds innovation mhm mm mhm mm yeah just like the way the kids use morphing compared to how we've seen like the andalites do yep it's like when something is your only tool it's a multi-purpose tool like you use it to do everything Mm -hmm. Because it's the thing you have, so you get good at using it in all the different ways that you can. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's good, is the thing. It is very good. Mm -hmm.